God. I want you to take your Bibles with me, if you will, and let's go over to Esther, to the book of Esther tonight. As you're turning there, uh, I want to encourage those of you that would like to go out and, and participate in the outreach with Bibles and Burgers. That's going to be this Saturday from 12 to 3. If you'd like to be there a little early to help them set up, you're welcome to. That's going to be at the, is it pronounced J. Lou Park? Is that right? You heard that out loud. So, J. Lou Park there. So, uh, Community Park. I was looking forward to all my announcements there. Also, the youth are going to be having uh, their annual Christmas party, and that's going to be 6 o'clock uh, Sunday night in the FLC, grades 6 to 12. Next Wednesday, I know uh, many of you have already begun Christmas holiday family events, but next Wednesday we're going to dismiss, dismiss service to give you time with family. Uh, we'll dismiss the uh, December the 25th Christmas Day prayer, but we will be having service on the 26th. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, you will only be, you will only have me, uh, uh, we won't have live class, and so, but uh, I know, I know some of you live for it, and I appreciate that. <laughs> so, let's take our Bibles with me, if you will, and let's go over to Esther, Esther the third chapter tonight. Father, I come before you. Once again, Lord, in need of your mercy, your grace, and the anointing of your spirit. Father, we know that we are living in the last of the last of the last days, and that, Lord, we truly believe that we will see you coming in the clouds. I pray, Father God, that in this season that we are in, that, Lord God, we may realize the purpose, the presence, and the power of your spirit. We thank you, Lord God, for the anointing in Jesus' name. Let's switch over microphones, guys, and see if we can get this. Are we there? All right. Before we get to our text tonight, I just want to recap what we spoke about last week. And I want to carry that thought forward tonight. Last week, we talked about, on a Wednesday night, we talked about Joseph and the story of Joseph. And we discovered that God had a dream that was a part of Joseph's life and that dream was not for a time that maybe he had set aside it was a time that God had appointed as I told you last week it was the right tool for the right time amen the right tool for the right time that dream that God had for him was a dream for a time of world crisis a time for world crisis and we are currently in a world crisis and we're seeing the ramifications the effects there are those in here that have been affected personally on the most extreme levels as the crisis that is taking place in the world today but I'm going to say to you as long as you are here you're a child of the living God you have a purpose you have been born for crisis God has purpose for you to be in this generation right now in order that the dream that he has in you may accomplish his will. Amen? It, it's exciting to realize that God's in charge. Not just that God is in charge, but God has positioned you and I to be in this time in history. In fact, he has privileged us. Now understand Paul told his son in the faith, Timothy, it's going to be 
perilous times. What that means in a literal sense, it means irksome times. It means times that are difficult to, to endure. But yet, I believe that there's great hope in God and that God has something in store for all of us in the fulfillment of his promises. I want us to look here in Exodus, and I want to, Exodus, Esther, I want to read one verse out of chapter 4, and then we're going to go over to chapter 3. Now, Esther is in the time where Israel had been carried, or Judah had been carried into Babylonian captivity, and now Babylon's reign had ended, and now the Medes and the Persians have taken over. Sometimes it, kingdoms step in and it seems like it's going to be for eternity and it's only for a short duration in the timeline of eternity. But what we see is the Medes and Persians have taken over. She's living in the capital city of Shushan, the capital of Persia, and she is a second generation captive. She was born in captivity and now she's living in captivity. Now, We'll explain this verse in a minute. It's an iconic passage of Scripture. But Esther 4 and 14. It says, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Mm. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows? Now this is the part I want you to get. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Let me just leave it with you with this. You have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. You were strategically, purposely positioned and planted in this generation for a time of world crisis. You have been born for crisis. Now tonight I want to share with you a parallel in chapter 3. I'm going to share with you a parallel of chapter 3 to our day. Not only share a parallel or draw a parallel from the time that Esther was there and where we are at. But I also want to share with you the power of God and the promises of God. And in the midst of all of that, what I want to weave in there is the fact that you have been brought into the kingdom for a time such as this. You have been brought into the kingdom for a time such as this. I want you to look now at chapter 3 of Esther. After these things, King Ahasuerus praised Haman the son, Hammethadath, the Agite. And promoted him and set his seat above all the officials who were with him. All the king's servants, when they were at the king's gate, bowed or paid homage to Haman, since the king had commanded it. Mordecai, however, never bowed or paid homage. Chapter, Esther 3 and verse 3. So the king's servant, tending the king's gate, said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the king's commandment? Though they spoke to him daily, he never listened to them. So they reported it to Haman to see if the words of Mordecai would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. 
When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed nor paid homage, he was filled with rage. But he was, but he disdained to lay hands on, on Mordecai since they had told him of the people of Mordecai. So Haman sought to destroy, notice this, to destroy all of the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Hazarias. In the first month, when it was the month of Nisan, the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pearl, that is, they, pur, they cast lots before Haman daily, each month until the twelfth month, when the month of Adar, to determine, I want you to see this, to determine the time. Then Haman said to the king, There exists a scattered people dispersed among the other peoples in all the provinces of the kingdom, and their laws are different from all others. Their laws are different than all others. And they are not complying with the king's laws. So there may not be a suitable reason for the king to allow them to exist. If it pleases the king, may it be written that, that they are to be destroyed. May there be 10,000 talents of silver deposited in the king's treasury. And he goes on. In other words, people that kill them, we need to go ahead and pay them. But if you don't know the story of Esther, just a real quick, quick. What happened there is Babylon took over. Babylon brought Judah into captivity. The Medes overthrew the, per, the Babylonians. And now here the queen, the first chapter tells us that Queen Vashti, the queen of Persia, the king's wife, while she was there, there was a big feast that was there, and in all indication, the king got drunk and he wanted to show off his wife. Now, this woman, Vashti, decided she wasn't going to go in to, uh, to be subject to the king's craziness. Well, in order to control all the women in the, in the land, they decided that she had to be ousted and there had to be a new queen put in place. In the midst of all that, the Lord was working a divine plan of protection for the children of Israel. So they called for all of the beautiful women and the beautiful virgins of the lands, and, and, and the one whom the, whom the king had chosen, they would be the new queen. Well, the lot, miraculously, as the favor of the Lord rested upon a young lady named Esther, she was an orphan, second-generation captive. She was there raised by her uncle Mordecai. And now she has received the favor, and now she is the queen of Persia, the strongest nation in that day of the land. Now, what we see here is that the Haman was an Agite, and he was raised to power, and in raising of that power, we see that all the other nations and the people gathered at the gate, the officials, anyone, were to give homage or bow to him. They got this man by the name of Mordecai, and he just wouldn't bow. Now, I was looking at some research to see why wouldn't Haman bow. Now, there's two possible reasons, though we don't know for sure. I believe it was more than just a personality conflict. What we see is that there was no restrictions of uh, uh, bowing to another person, but the rabbinical interpretation is 
What they believed is that Haman was wearing an idol image either on his neck or woven into his clothing. And so Haman refused to bow to that image. Hmm? Mordecai refused to bow to the image. Now that would make a little bit more sense, wouldn't it? Because the Bible tells us, that, and we see repeatedly through the Word of God, that we should not, uh, in fact, it goes on to tell us uh, in the Word in Exodus 24 and 5, you shall not make for yourselves any carved images, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them nor serve them. We see that Mordecai, being a Jew, because that's the only answer he had given them as to why he wouldn't bow. I'm not going to bow because I'm a Jew. I'm from the tribe of Judah, and we bow to only one image and one image alone. And that's Jehovah God. We, we do not bow to any other deity on earth. We bow to Him. We see throughout the Word of God how that when the Lord begins to move in revival, what does He start to do? He begins to destroy the images of the earth. Whenever Elijah was bringing about revival and before he called the fire down from heaven he took all of the false images uh, that the Israelites were bearing uh, and he brought them to the altar and they set the fire of God down they destroyed the, the image bearers they destroyed uh, the, the Baal worshippers we see that when Gideon was there called to bring a deliverance to the, to the tribe what did he do? he tore down the images there we see throughout the Word of God, as we look and we understand, and we talked about Sunday, is that we folks are called to be a direct representative of the heavenly man. Amen? I don't know if I can say enough about image. We, we bore the image of the man of dust, but we are called to bear the image of the heavenly God. Amen? The heavenly man, which is Christ Jesus. So we see here that Mordecai refused to bow. And any time that the covenant people of God refuse to bow, the enemy wants to rear his ugly head. Well, see, what is the problem with bowing? We're just giving way and bowing to those images. We're letting those images declare who we are instead of letting God declare who we are. We're saying that, okay, to go ahead and just uh, give lordship, homage, uh, and bow to those images, what we're declaring is that it's okay if we look like that. But the psalmist tells us in Psalm 115 and 8, those who make them are like them, so everyone who trusts in them. Let me, say that, let me say it this way to bring it to where we're living. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are called to be the head and not the tail. You are called to be blessed you are blessed of the Lord. You're a child of the King. You're not a slave. You're a son. You're not, a, you're not an outcast. You are accepted. What the image of the world wants to tell you is to bow like everybody else. Uh, and every time uh, that they, anything that is contrary to the Word of God comes and tries to te tell you that you're not accepted, 
that you don't have this joy, that you don't have this hope. Those things are the image that the enemy wants you to, to look like. We refuse to bow to that. Amen? So Mordecai refused to bow to those false images. What we also see is the Bible tells us a little bit more indication is that Haman was an Amalekite. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that he was an Agite. Does anybody recall in your Bible studies, in your, in your reading of the Word, where there's a mention of a, of a king, Agai? And, and, you ref, you, and King Saul was supposed to destroy the Amalekites? Because the Amalekites had come against the children of Israel when they were making their exodus. And they were en route to the land of the promise. The Amalekites came out against. And the Lord swore that the name and the memory of the Amalekites would be completely wiped out. Anyone and anything that tried to prevent the covenant people of God to get into the place of promise. And to attack the weak and the vulnerable in that state that he would destroy so he said, King Saul, as you have kept back, you have kept back the, the good things that you consider the good things of the Amalekites, you're not going to rule in the kingdom anymore. And so it was the prophet Samuel that beheaded and destroyed the king Agai. The king Agai. I believe, folks, that there is a spirit of prophecy that's coming forth, a spirit of prophecy that's going to destroy that old king, Agai. Amen? And destroy that fleshly, carnal attitude. And I believe it's going to be the powerful voice of the Lord as he comes forth and destroys those things. But what we see here is that Haman, for two possible reasons why he wouldn't bow. First of which is because the potential that he could have been wearing an idol and the fact that Haman was a royal descendant from the king of Agai, which was an Amalekite. And his only answer was this, I'm a Jew. I have another lineage, and you're a sworn enemy to my king. You're a sworn enemy to my God. And I'm not going to bow to anything that is a sworn enemy to my God. So I want you to notice something here as we look a little bit further. Here is Haman, and he's trying to come up with a, with a plan because he not only wanted to destroy Mordecai, he wanted to destroy all of the covenant Jewish people. He wanted to take them all out. He wasn't just satisfied. See, that's the spirit of, of Malachi. He wants to destroy everything that is in covenant with God. That's what that spirit is. It's a spirit of Antichrist that wants to destroy any covenant relationship with the living God. So what we see is he begins to devise a plan. But not just devise a plan. It begins to, they begin to cast lots. The P-U-R, the per, they... It was lots. What, what was he looking for? He was trying to divine the lucky day. A day that he felt, according to his religion, 
a day that he felt was appropriate to destroy the covenant people of Israel. And so the Bible tells us that they daily cast these lots. It would be the equivalent of just rolling the dice. If it lands on snake eyes, we take them out. If it lands on boxcars, we just keep going. Don't look at me that way. Many of you in here have played dice before. Seven come eleven. Six sister Hicks. Come on. So they're rolling the dice to say, okay, we are going to find the right time. So I was looking at that. I said, Lord, what is what exactly was going on right there? He said, this enemy is up to the same thing our day. He's wanting to change seasons. He's wanting to control seasons of culture in order that he may destroy the covenant that I have for my people. If you find, you will note that the purpose of Haman, he sought to destroy all the Jews throughout all the kingdom. Let me tell you, the devil is not your friend. He has nothing good for you. Any dangling of any temptation is to lead you into a place of destruction and of death. He's got nothing in store for you but absolute annihilation. That's all that is in and on his heart. That is his motive, his mode of operandi. He wants to destroy you and your children and your children's children. He has no other objective but to thwart and to stop and to destroy destroy the things that are good in our life. Amen? So he is there. See, because culture is defined as this. Culture is a way of life of a group of people. The behaviors, the beliefs, the values that they accept. Generally without thinking about it. And that are passed along by communication and imitation from one generation to the next. I thought that was an interesting definition of culture. It's the way of life a group of people, behavior, beliefs, values, they accept, generally without even thinking about it. Have you ever noticed that culture continues making just subtle changes along the way? Subtle changes from one generation to the next. Many times it's styles and music and preference and those types of things. But then there comes catastrophic events that take place. And all of a sudden, there are chasmic alterations to culture. Let me give you some contemporary examples. 9-11. Has 9-11 altered the way that we travel? Does it alter the way that we perceive the world? How about COVID? Culture, American culture chugged along. Pretty steady pace. Little changes here, there, here, there, here, there. Then all of a sudden you hit 9-11 and now we have a worldwide alteration in the way we think and the way we process. 
Then 20 years later, COVID comes along. Anybody in here not affected by COVID in some way, some measure? It has altered on a worldwide level the way that we process, the way that we think. What is the purpose in those things? It is the devil rolling the dice, trying to change the times and the seasons. It is the enemy attempting to alter seasons. It is the enemy's many times his last-ditch efforts to alter times and season. Three feasts in the Word of God centered around harvest, Passover, Pentecost, and ingathering. We've experienced Passover through Jesus. We've experienced Pentecost through the Holy Spirit. But there is the end of the harvest days. We've met Jesus and we met the Holy Spirit. And yes, if we have met them, we've met the, met the Father as well. But let me tell you, there's coming a day where there's going to be the end of all ends. There's the end of the harvest. And what is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to disrupt the greatest harvest season I believe that the church has ever seen. He is trying to alter this time that we are in right now. But I said, Lord, does he have the power to do that? And the Lord reminded me, no, son, he does not. I'm the author of seasons. And I choose when the harvest is ready, and I choose the labors that I send into that harvest. And I have chosen me a nation, a generation, if you will, for just a time as this. You have been called into the kingdom of God. I believe it's time we shake off the fear. We shake off the confusion. We shake off all of the enemy, all the images he wants to put in our mind, all the images that are con contrary to him and begin to walk in the authority God has called us to walk in as the scales begin to fall from our eyes as we realize the season we are in. We are called to be the last day church. The last day church, I believe, is called to walk in the authority and the power of God. Yes, we have a season changer. But what we find out of the story of Esther is though Haman is there in the spirit of Antichrist and he's trying to destroy anywhere you see in the Word of God, this authority that rises up or this spirit that rises up to completely destroy generations, people, covenant people, it's the spirit of Antichrist. Haman has a spirit of Antichrist upon him. He's walking in it. And when you see this, he's got his devices, he's got his device and his plans in place. Oh, the enemy has been scheming, but what the the arrogance because a haughty spirit goes before a fall and a and what, pride goes before destruction and arrogance before a fall. That's not just for the humanity, that's for the enemy as well. Because he has overestimated himself, he has under, underestimated the church, and he believes that he's stronger than God, and he's not. 
He may have the world convinced, but you can't convince the church. You can't convince the people of God who's, who is greater. It is God. Now, Haman's father's name literally means he that troubles the law. Isn't that funny? He that troubles the law. Hamid Adath. That's not even close to the pronunciation, but Hamid Adath. His name means that he that troubles the law. Now, we see the parallels between Haman and Esther in our day. We see the similarities. And now, Haman convinces the king, and you notice in the narrative, he doesn't tell the king the people. He just says, there's a scattered group dispersed among your people, and they're causing a lot of trouble, and they need to be wiped out. So the king said, yeah, well, if my kingdom's threatened, let's go ahead and wipe them out. The funny thing was is they set a date 12 months from the time that they started. Well, yeah, that's, a, that's one good mess up right there. You give people of God a chance to respond, uh-oh. Give them a chance to respond. But unbeknownst to Haman, Mordecai had unveiled a, a, a plot and a plan but to kill the king. And he reported it, and nothing was ever done about it. Then he underestimated the fact that God had strategically placed an individual in a place of authority so intimately close to the king that, that uh, he, he didn't even realize what nation she was from. You're talking about irony. <laughs> You're talking about a, a, a royal mess-up. He just made one. So... Do you believe that Esther was, was born for that time of the world crisis? That she used her bridal identity to overthrow the Antichrist spirit. There's so much in this, I can't even get near to it. I'm just hoping you pick up on some of those little nuggets. She didn't go out to battle on that day. She used her bridal identity to overcome that enemy. She invited Haman and the king to a feast. Can you come to the feast? Yes, we'll come to the feast. Okay, what is your request, King, Queen Esther? I would like for you and Haman to show up to a banquet I have prepared for tomorrow. Okay, we'll come. Sounds good to me. What was happening was the favor of God resting upon Esther because she was born for crisis. What's happening for the church right now is because God has placed his favor upon us because we have born, been born for crisis. He wants us to use our sonship as a means of authority, but he also wants us to use our bridal identity because we are the bride of Christ. Well, they show up. But the night before, the Lord, I believe, purposely disrupted the king's sleep. I need to go to sleep. What do we want to do? Let's bring me the chronicles. Not the, the chronicles, but the chronicles there. I'm going to read through the chronicles and, whoa, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. There was a plot against me and Mordecai. Mordecai 
brought it to light, two guys in my own uh, entourage were going to kill me, and he brought it about, and they were destroyed. So the next day, here's Haman. He's already got gallows built because he believes he's the favored guest at this banquet this night. It's such a beautiful story, isn't it? It's like God, it's like the Lord is just an on-time God. We think he's late and he's just setting up the plot. He just, he's just putting twists and turns that Hollywood can never even imagine. He, he's putting it together, a storyline, and it's like, man, in the authors, in the, uh, they're writing the movies and the scripts in Hollywood. They can't even compare to what the Lord is doing. So here's Haman, the Antichrist spirit man. He's coming along, and hey, God, uh, he's, he's there, and he... And all of his idol worship and all of his paganism, and he's coming to before the king to ask that Mordecai be hung on the gallows. But before he had an opportunity to say anything, don't you love this? He said, Haman, what would you do? How would you honor someone in the kingdom? Haman thought for sure he's talking about him because I got an invite to the banquet. Just me and the king and the queen. I'm going to the banquet tonight. My buddies in council told me to go ahead and set up some gallows so that uh, uh, we could destroy my mortal enemy because he will not bow to me. Oh, my God, if the people of God would realize, hey, maybe if we stop bowing to the image of the world and looking like the world, maybe the Lord will set up a plot to destroy that enemy out of our life forever. How would you honor someone. Well, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd go get a robe that you wore, clothes that you wore, and I'd put it on that man. I'd put a signet on his head. I'd set him on a horse that you rode. I'd pray him through the city. I'd tell everybody how wonderful he is. Haman, that's a good idea. Go do that for Mordecai. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the Lord will give me that replay of that scene. I'm hoping that one day, there's movies I've watched, I've watched a dozen times, and I watch them for that particular scene. I'm going to see that again because it's so good. I want to see that. I would say, Lord, I just need a teleprompter. Just, I want to see the look on Haman's face. Would you tell him to go honor Mordecai? He went home, he wasn't happy. He did what the king told him to because he had no choice. Because the king said, he went home, he said, I am in trouble. He showed up to the banquet. Goodness. He's a little nervous. She spreads it all out there. Okay, Queen Esther, I know you want something. What is it? Well, king is like this. There's someone that wants to destroy all of my people. Again, I'd like to see the look on Haman's face. Your people? You're a Jew? You're a Jew! King said, who is he? Who is he? 
It's that wicked Haman right there. King gets up in disgust, walks out of the room. Haman, at this point, go read it. It's good reading. He falls on her lap, begging for his life. This man that was so puffed up in pride just a chapter or two ago, now he is in trouble. And the king comes in and says, you're going to attack my wife while I'm in the room? They covered his head, pulled him out. Guess where they took him? Wait, 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 wait. We did the parallels. We're talking about the we're talking about the power, and now let's talk about the promises a little bit. We'll get back to the power in just a minute. But the but the promise is this: what the enemy has divinely, or let me say, let me, wrong word, wrong word uses. Thank you, thank you, Nathan. My th- thesaurus up there what he has maliciously planned for you is what the Lord is going to use to destroy him my God my God my God come on now church you brought this COVID on this land seeking to destroy the harvest let me, let me ask you this question Let me ask you this question. If COVID can touch every nation in every home in every city, do we not believe that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God cannot go forth into every home, into every city? You take our children, you're going to pay for it. You take our loved ones, you're going to pay for it. We ain't putting up with it no more. Those very things you thought were going to destroy, you know what the Word of God tells us? Haman's house became Mordecai's house. His Mordecai exceeded Haman's authority. He was second only to the king. That day that was set aside for destruction became a feast day. That day set aside because the enemy thought he was going to alter the season. Went down in the history of Israel as a day the Bible tells us that he took sorrow and turned it into joy. This present suffering, hear me, Hear me. This present suffering. Many of you are going through right now. Will not compare to the glory that shall be revealed. It's a promise. God is making to you right now. The depth of your pain will not compare to the, to the power of the glorious promise that He's bringing into you personally and to the kingdom of God. I should have just tag-teamed my wife on this because I've heard her preach it and teach it 
Maybe she'll address it one day and do a better job at it. But there was a law that went forth from the king. It couldn't be altered because the law was set in place. It couldn't be altered. The king said it, so it had to happen. There was a day set aside, the 12th day of Adar, the last day of the month of the year, in that all the Jews would be destroyed throughout the land. The Lord tells us in the word of the word of God, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That was a law that the king had spoken that exists. So as they're in the banquet, the king asked Esther, what else can I do for you? So well, all my people are going to be destroyed because of this law. Take away this law. He said, I cannot. Because the law spoken has to stay. But this is what I tell you I will do. I'll give a law that supersedes that law. Hold that, hold, hold that thought. Hold that thought. There is therefore... Now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So I might have been born in this world living under this tyranny of the law of sin and death. But when I step into the bridal identity with Christ become a son of God through the son and have sonship and some identity and now I have bridal identity what happens according to the word of God is now there's a law that supersedes that original law it's the law of spirit and life and so that day that was meant for my destruction is now a day where sorrow has been turned to joy and feasting. Oh, that's a horrible, oh, but it's still good, amen? So we see the power that God has given us. We're living in a day of world crisis that God has purpose for you to be in got to get beyond our head into our heart and begin to infiltrate every part of our being you are not an accident you are not a reject you are not an outcast you are not marginalized you are born for purpose destiny is in your DNA dreams are in your DNA you have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm not talking to your neighbor. I'm talking to you. Get it in our spirit. Her day is parallel with our day. Her promises that came about. There's also power that we walk in. With the enemy meant to destroy us with are the very things that's going to destroy him.
The day he set aside for our destruction is this day that we're living in that we're going to bring forth the glory of God by bringing sons into the kingdom of the Lord. Oh, I tell you, Esther's packed with promise. I'm going to give you the opportunity to find them yourself. But right now, I want you to stand all across this room. Oh, merciful God. See, there's only one. There's only one in charge of seasons. God is in charge of seasons. The Lord God our Father is in control of the seasons. The enemy may try to alter culture, may try us to have us pick up habits uh, that our generation want to imitate. But I believe there's a greater culture that is in operation, and it is the culture of the kingdom of God. There, is a, there are laws that are not like their laws. <laughs> How did he say it? I, I, it was too good not to say it again. How did he say that? Their laws are different from all others. We have a law not of sin and death. We have a law of the spirit of life. We're alive in Jesus Christ. All things work together for good. They that love, called according to your purpose. All things. I'm going to say this, and I hope it's received in the spirit in which I'm trying to convey. On 9-11, we had landed a team in Ivory Coast. Got off the plane and found out that the towers had fallen. We had a lady just this year went home to be with the Lord. She was with us on that team. She was there as we're sitting around the table discussing, trying to figure out what we're going to do next and how we're going to move forward. As we found out about the 3,000 plus souls that died that day. She looked at me and she said, their sacrifice will not be in vain. God will move. I'm telling you right now, those of you that have lost loved ones due to COVID, those sacrifices will not be in vain. God is going to reveal his glory. Father, we come before you tonight. We come before you tonight. We are here. We have breath in our body, Lord. We have consciousness in our mind, oh God. We have an awareness, Lord, in our spirit that we are living in the last of the last of the last days. Lord, the enemy does not control the seasons. You do. And as much as he wants to alter the harvest, he cannot. But Lord, if everything that he meant to destroy will cause the, the harvest to come forth. Lord, Pharaoh tried to destroy the promised seed of Moses. But Lord God, you hid him in the palace. My God, he tried to destroy that Antichrist, tried to destroy Jesus in Bethlehem. But Lord God, you hid him. And Lord God, he was revealed in a time of crisis. And Lord, I believe tonight 
But Lord, I, I feel a release right now in the spirit. If it, you need it, just receive it tonight. This, that, that suffering that you're going through right now, just open your heart to receive the glory. I'm, I'm not telling you to abandon that journey of grief. You've got to go through it. That's all right. But I want you to receive tonight uh, that, that glory that God is pouring into you right now. God is pouring it into you right now. Peace and rest and joy and hope and safety. You're listening online. I want you right now to find a place to kneel and begin to pray. And begin to cry out to God. I want you to receive tonight that glory for that suffering. Right now, just begin to receive it tonight in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we agree, Father. We agree, Father God. Lord, we pray tonight, Almighty God, all that the enemy had in store to destroy the church. Let it be the very catalyst, Lord God, that propels us, Lord God, into this whitened field, Lord God, that are ready for harvest, Father. We ask it believing, Lord, tonight. Lord, as we look up and see, Almighty God, that, Lord, you have in store for us, Lord God, the greatest harvest the church has ever seen, Lord. And I pray, Father God, Lord, give us the strength not to bow to the image of the enemy, to walk in our identity, Lord God, that we may reap, Lord, the inheritance that you have in store for us. Father, we ask it in your name. We ask it in your name, Lord, tonight. Worthy is the Lamb. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Father. I'm going to share some, just a couple of things. The Jews gathered together in chapter 9, verse 2. In the cities throughout all the province of the king, the Hazarus, to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all the people. So the day that they were meant to be destroyed. They went from being the prey to the predator. They went from being the prey to the predator. And the one standing against them, heart was so overcome with fear they could not withstand them. So the fear that was supposed to take the church down it's having a boomerang effect on the enemy. <laughs> the devil's more afraid of you. Oops, I wish I wouldn't have built that gallow. <laughs> Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight for mercy and grace for this day. Thank you, Lord. I pray a hedge of protection around your people. Lord, I pray for every scheme that the enemy has, that, Lord, we will look behind us and see, Lord God, him dangling from that very gallow. I pray that there will be such a courage that rises up in your children, 
that, Lord, it is evident in their walk, it's evident in their talk. And, Lord, I pray that there will be a revelation and a realization of the terror that, Lord God, floods hell right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight. I, I, want you to be, I want you to be seated tonight, and I just want to share one, one thing with you, and we're going we're gonna to close. got this letter this week from Brian Davis. He's become our, our, our prison apostle here. He, he writes like he was writing to, to the church, as Paul would write to the church. But before we take our offering tonight, and I'm going to link all this together, I just believe it's worth, worth sharing and you need to hear. Uh, now, Brian's got some time. He's got he's to fulfill. But he continually needs our prayers. Church at Crossroads. To all the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Crossroads in Greenville, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Sounds like the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? Apostle Brian, do you know God loves you? Well, it's the truth, and it's been demonstrated powerfully through Jesus. I'm here to testify to his love. I've received it from the first day I came through the doors, and Pastor Mike and Pastor Angel opened their arms and accepted me just as I was, just as Jesus did when he saved me. Amen. They told me, just keep coming through those doors on Sunday and any time I'm needed. Then the love I received from the people inside those doors started to flood my heart. It was like a raging waterfall of love. Tommy McGregor became my brother in Christ and was there for me every day. Michael Bright came down and prayed for me a couple of times when I thought I was in the, in the wrong way. He prayed me right. Amen. Then I started going to Andrea's Sunday school class where the love of that class and the Holy Spirit started working. Then I was invited to the men's retreat and Keith was my roommate. Parentheses. This was a good thing. Ha ha. Then I remembered leaving a service at the men's retreat where Elijah and I talked, and I, or Elijah and I, Elijah was with me, and I told him I thought this was what heaven was really going to be like, except the streets weren't gold as we walked back to our rooms. Then when I thought the fellowship could, get, could not get any better, Pastor Angel invited me to the home groups at the Lima's house. I love you and miss you, Lala, and your, and your wife's cooking. But the fellowship ha was even better. Then we started going to Belinda's where her sister Pam, blessing upon me, blessing, amen. Then I was able to go to one of Randall's classes, which I was kicked out of, amen. Uh-huh. But then he let me back in and let me come back, which has been a great lesson on discipleship. I look forward to returning and completing this class. Amen. He said, church, pray for Randall. I'm a handful. 
Ray, Lee, Dennis, and I'm sure many more great men of God, Sam, Lance, Clint, Mickey, all of the men of Crossroads and all of their beautiful wives who I am sure is the reason they are such great men. And Sam's wife who said, I'm worthy, thank you. For all of your obedient, faithful love in Christ, a special thank you to Trina Smith, whose letters of encouragement since the beginning of my incarceration, Pastor Angel's weekly visit, and Pastor Mike also. I'm so flooded with, with emotions of pure love and joy and peace. If I forget anyone, I am sorry. The thing is, love is better when it's done not at a distance. So if you come near to God in his amazing love. Take up your cross daily. Walk through the doors of Crossroads Church. Someone will love you. God's love is amazing because it, it is proactive. It expressed by action. It's cost him a lot. And it's the love we need. Continue in unity and love. And let's continue bringing lost, the lost home. Just get them in the doors at crossroads. Then he puts scripture references. Ephesians 4, 16. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Psalms 133. John 17. Matthew 5, 14. Thanks for your prayers and love. May our God bless you as you have blessed me. Amen. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. God be with you. Your brother in Christ. Hallelujah. Brian Davis. I want you to stand with me, if you will. Tonight, we're going to be lifting up in light of this letter and ministry that takes place in those, behind those walls. We're going to be lifting up our chaplains tonight. We have chaplains in prison ministry. We have chaplains in the army. We have chaplains in military service. I want us to lift up the chaplains, and I want us to pray especially for Brian before we take our missions offering tonight. Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, I thank you for the witness. I thank you, Lord, that you have put within Brian, Lord God, your very spirit. And I pray, Father God, that his, at the times and the hours of loneliness, Lord God, and Lord, when he days, when he just doesn't feel like he can get out, Lord God, take another moment. I just pray, Father, there's just such overwhelming joy and hope and peace and rest come upon him. I pray your protection upon his wife, upon his four children. I pray, God, that you would lead and guide them. I pray, Father God, that you would release him, Lord God, even before his time, Father God, is allotted. I pray, Father, that, Lord, he would continue to lead others to you. And, Lord, you would continue to grow in him in such measures, Lord God, that, Father, that the dream that you have in store for him, Lord, may be fulfilled. Father, we lift, Lord God, all of our brothers and all of our sisters, Lord God, incarceration right now, Lord God, truly the faithful in God. I pray, Lord, that we lift them up, that you would encourage them. 
We pray, Father, for the chaplains that go in there, Lord God, to share the good news, to be the encouragement, to be the mentor, Lord God, to help them, Lord God, to step back into society. I pray, Father God, a special, Lord God, anointing, Lord God, to rest upon them. I pray for those in this room, Lord, that are engaged and involved, Lord God, in prison ministry, that you would bless them, Lord God, with a special anointing, Lord, to see souls brought to the kingdom. Lord, we thank you that this offering tonight, Lord, will go to further your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Appreciate you. Thank you for coming tonight. Amen. We'll see you back Saturday morning, 714 prayer. Uh, Remember the Bibles and burgers on Saturday. And we'll see you back here Sunday morning. The gentlemen are at the back to receive the offering. God bless you. You are dismissed.